0: And so if you're like me, guy or girl, I just want to encourage you with like the reality of like why we talk about, why we sing about the love of Jesus, why we preach about the love of Jesus is because connection, relationship, love is the the language of relationship, connection to Jesus is what changes all of life. Your work, your strength, your boldness, the fights that you have to fight. Love is the anchor, right? It's the source of all of those things. So that's why we talk about that. So we're not here just to dream about getting hugged by Jesus. We're here to think about our entire lives in a new way, and it centers on his love for us. So the main thing I want you to know about me, though, is that uh, I'm not a good person, but Jesus loves me, and he loves you. And that changes everything. So let me tell you about the best concert I ever went to. Best concert for me who's heard of the band the tallest man on earth (laughs) thank you so much one person here who understands me I knew it wasn't gonna be high but one person is a little lower than I was expecting it's okay I'm not offended tallest man on earth is an incredible band it is niche it's a little weird Um, I love this band though like his songs music of my soul and my wife got me tickets to see him on my birthday And um, I was actually happy that I couldn't find anyone who could go with me, which, I don't know. Do I have no friends? I don't know. (laughs) I'll revisit that later. I was happy that I got to go alone because I knew that nobody was as big a fan of this guy as I was. And I was just going to get to go and like fan out. And so I go. One of the first in the doors, I bustle right up to the stage. It's like a pretty small venue. I like stick my elbow on the stage like I'm here and I'm not moving. And I didn't move for the entire concert. It was awesome. I was like six feet from this dude that like, I love all, I knew every word of every song. It was incredible. He's like making eye contact with me. I'm like, yes, (laughs) yes, like some of his sweat might've gotten on me at some point. Might not have wiped it off right away. I don't know. Like I had to pee really bad, didn't go pee. I was there in the concert. It was awesome. Like it was such a good experience. Good, it was beautiful. Great memory, bought a t-shirt. Okay, listen, you don't, you don't remember a concert like that in inches. You don't remember it in degrees Fahrenheit or like minutes of angle, minutes of time. You just remember the beauty. You experience the beauty and how it changes you, and that's the significance of it. And in our passage tonight, God wants us to glimpse the beauty of His throne room and just be changed by it. So, I'm going to preach this passage a little different hitting you with five points instead of the normal two or three. So five points. They're all short. Five quick points. The throne is occupied. God is beautiful. God turns chaos to beauty. God's beauty sparks worship. How can you become beautiful? That's our five points. Buckle up, buttercup. You're in for a wild ride. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. It is nuts, the things that you show us. And so Jesus, we just ask that you would, you would show us, that we would see that we would see what you want us to see. We need your help, Jesus. So open up our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Don't let us walk out here unchanged. I just pray for the people in here tonight who are um, maybe feeling like it was a mistake to be in here, uh, maybe not super familiar with talking about you or your word this way. I'm just so thankful that they're here, Lord, and ask that you would meet with them and that you would help them see you and know that they're welcomed and loved and accepted by you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Alright, here we go. Number one, the throne is occupied. First point. So, verse one. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. The throne is occupied. Who'd you think was on the throne? You now who was it? Biden? Putin? Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, yourself. Or I think maybe a lot of times we just kind of imagine that if there is a throne of the universe, it's just vacant, empty, and things kind of play out like they do, and no one knows what's going to happen, and it's just kind of like up to us to try to make the best of it. I want you to imagine John, okay, the guy who saw this vision. He's a prisoner on the island called Patmos. It's off the coast of like Turkey and Greece, kind of in between them. And uh, Rocky Place, there's mines, evidence of Roman mines on the colony. He might have been a slave in the mines, we don't really know. He's a prisoner there. When he thought about a throne, he probably thought of the guy who put him there on that island, the Emperor Domitian, right, the Roman Emperor. Imagine the ancient Christians in what we now call Turkey, so modern-day Turkey. The ancient Christians there are who he wrote Revelation to. It's a letter. They faced persecution for their faith up to and including death. Okay, and so when they thought about a throne, they're probably just terrified of this guy, Domitian, this emperor on the throne and what it represents. I think those people might have been asking the same question we're asking tonight. Is there anybody on the throne of the universe? Is there anybody like at the helm or are we just adrift left to our own devices at the mercy of whoever can grab the most power? Because God loves them, because he loves us, he pulls back the veil on like the fourth dimension of reality, right? John thinks he's just alone on this island. No one cares about him. And God's like, actually, let me pull back the veil. Show you what's really going on. And he sees that the throne is occupied by God. We're going to see what difference that makes in history, like the history of our world next week. But for now, you just need to know the throne's occupied. God's on it. God's at the helm of this world, of your life. So don't be afraid, guys. (laughs) We feel like it's all on us. I know this feeling. You can walk into here, walk throughout your week, go to your classes, get internships, prepare for your careers, and feel like it is all on you. And it's not. And that's actually really good news. God's on the throne. And all things are guided perfectly, inexorably, inerringly, exactly the way He wants them to go. That's a crazy thing to wrap your mind around, but wrapping your mind around that is worth doing because there's peace in knowing that God is on the throne. So that's the first point. The throne's occupied. Moving on. Point two. It's about the one who occupies the throne. What's he like? And we see here God is beautiful. He who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. So remember this is a vision of apocalyptic literature we kind of talked about this a little bit week one it's not describing the physical characteristics and features of god like as if he had physical characteristics which he doesn't we're not meant to think that like when we're with god when jesus comes back that we're going to look at him and see like oh there he is jasper carnelian yeah i knew that this is not telling us what he looks like it's telling us what he's like jesus showed john this vision because he wanted john to tell the churches Something about what God is like. And the one thing he wanted to tell them, apparently, the first thing, is that he's beautiful. Jasper and carnelian, these are gemstones. Jasper is clear like a diamond. Carnelian is like blood red. And then the rainbow, like an emerald, just a beautiful rainbow. So, every time I hear about a rainbow, I think about uh, my wife and I at our wedding. Uh, we're at the reception, having fun, having a party. And then somebody like, runs in is like, there's a rainbow outside. And so we're like, we, I grab her hand, we run out there and there's a double rainbow like in the sky above our wedding. And of course we're like, we get a picture and it's awesome. We love it. And I'm just like, what? I guess God's smiling on our marriage. Like, and that's what a rainbow is. Like from the first time in the world when God made a rainbow until now, every time we see a rainbow, there's, it's not just beauty, it's a blessing. It's like a benediction being spoken over us. And that's what God puts around his throne because God wants to show people overwhelmed by the ugliness of the world that he's just beautiful. Why? Because beauty gives hope. It's transcendent. I can walk out of my house, right, after a long day, a hard day, a frustrating day, and um, we get like, you know, you can see the sky from outside my house. And if it's dark, like at night, and I look up and I see the stars... And it's just like pinpricks of light coming through the canopy of darkness. And I feel like it's going to be okay. Like it's hope. God put those there to give me that hope. There's some transcendence there. The God who gives us stars to remind us that his love shines into our darkness. He also gives us this vision of beauty that our hearts might have hope. Hope that his beauty could heal our brokenness. Hope that his light could banish our darkness. Hope that his joy could overwhelm our sadness and depression and anxiety. Hope that his rule could flood our ugly world with goodness and mercy and wash away the badness. Y'all, it can and it will. I've seen that in my life. We see it here in Revelation and one day we're going to see it rolling down from heaven in the hand of the Savior who comes to wash away brokenness with his beauty. Like it's happening and he wants us to see that. His beauty is there and it wins. If you're an artist, if you're an artist, if you're here, if you like like art, music, uh, if you're a chef, amateur or one day professional, if you're a dancer, model, architect, your work is important to God because apparently He just loves beauty. He loves it. And your work can be a tribute to the beautiful God who makes beauty possible, like a testament, like a statue standing on this world, until he comes again saying, "Beauty wins, actually. Beauty wins. It does. Point three, God turns chaos into beauty. I love this one, you guys. Okay, so we're skipping ahead a little bit. Before the throne, there was, as it were, honestly, I don't know what as it were means. One of you English guys tell me later what as it were is there for. I don't know. it. Before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. What's going on here? Okay, so for people in the ancient world, this is actually a really good like how to read the Bible moment. Okay, so when you see something like a sea of glass like crystal, Cool. Like, what is that there for? So, first, we look at the context, the historical context of the first audience. When they think about the sea, it's just terrifying. It's just scary. Most of them couldn't swim. A sea voyage was like a major gamble with your life in those days. They did not have good methods of navigation. Ships sank all the time. And if they sank, people just drowned, all of them, most of the time. So, the sea is a place of terror, of judgment. Most of the. Um, <coughs> And in Revelation itself, so we go to the context, okay? What does it mean for the original audience? They hear the sea, that's scary. But then we look at Revelation. How does Revelation, the rest of the book, speak about the ocean, okay? Revelation 16.3, the ocean is a place of judgment. Revelation 21.1, okay, so when Jesus comes back and everything is made perfect, it says there is no longer any sea. Interesting, does that mean the sea disappears? Actually, this is saying the sea is chaos, The sea is terror. The sea is the turbulence of our lives, the things we're terrified of. When Jesus comes back, that's gone, right? And so here, I love this. When we read here that before the throne, there's this sea of glass, smooth, calm, like crystal, we understand what God's saying. He says that he takes our chaos, and before his throne, it goes totally still. Remember Jesus, Mark 4, they're out in a boat. Great windstorm arose. The waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling but jesus was asleep in the stern asleep on a cushion and they woke him and said to him his disciples they wake him up they say teacher do you not care that we are perishing and he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea peace be still and the wind ceased and there was great calm and they were filled with great fear and they said to one another who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him who was it it was the god of the universe who when he sits on his throne The chaos of the world is instantly stilled, and the seas come to worship and they turn as smooth as glass. I love it. The chaos of the world is under God's rule, and therefore it will not win. One day it'll be calm, smooth as glass. So, where is your life chaotic? Where is it troubled? Is it the guilt that gnaws at you for your past misdeeds? Is it the fear that churns in your belly when you think of the future? Is it the shame that swirls in your soul when you remember your past? The thousand just indecisions and uncertainties that crowd every day? Is it the addictions and the compulsions that you can't get rid of? One day, they will all be brought to perfect stillness when the beautiful voice of your maker says, Be still. Peace. So let's long for his return, you all. Listen, we can experience substantial moments of this peace now, but one day, it's going to be full and final. So let's long for the return of Jesus. Amen. Point four. God's beauty sparks worship. Okay, the throne is occupied. The one who occupies the throne is beautiful. God's beauty turns chaos to peace, to beauty. And now, point four. God's beauty sparks worship. There's some beings crowded around the throne. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. We're going to come back to that, but for now, I just want you to know 24 elders, they're most likely the patriarchs, of the 12 tribes of Israel. So some of you know Israel, there's 12 tribes. Each one of them was like the descendants of a dude. So these are those 12 dudes. And the 12 apostles of Jesus. Okay, so 12 plus 12, 24, there they are. All right. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. This is weird. The first living creature is like a lion. The second creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. The fourth like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. Okay, what are these? So, rest of the Bible. Ezekiel. This Old Testament prophet, 700 years earlier. Like, we know Ezekiel was written 700 years before Revelation. And yet, somehow, they're talking about the same beast. If you go and read in Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10, he's describing basically the exact same creatures, whatever they are. And in that place, Ezekiel's like, I saw them and I knew. They're the cherubim. What are cherubim? Cherubim are like big-time angels that do God's special bidding. God has angels. We can talk more about that later if you want to, like, get into that. Uh, Genesis 3, when God kicks out Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, he puts a cherubim with a flaming sword to guard the way to the Garden of Eden. So cherubim, uh, this is not trying, again, to tell us like, hey, just so you know, guys, cherubim are trippy and weird and they have like lion faces and ox faces and eagle faces. Some of them have human faces. That's not the point. What's happening here? Like, why are they, why is it telling us about these, like, the faces that are on them? It's telling us whose place they hold in the worship of God. Lion, ox, man, eagle. They're holding place for every creature that God ever made, including you and me. So it's like you go to a concert, and you're waiting to get in the doors. Doors haven't opened yet. You get there a little too early. You wanted an early place, and you realize you have got to go to the bathroom bad. And so you tell your friend, hey, hold my place. I'm going to go over here. And you know that you're going to get that spot back because they're there, The cherubim are before the throne of God holding your place in worship. And not just you, every creature under heaven. They're held there, enthralled by the beauty of God who sits on the throne. Because God's beauty is not just there like, oh, cool, I'm going to keep on walking. It's magnetic. It draws us in. What do they say? Day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Let's keep going here and whatever living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne the 24 elders fall down before him who's seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever they cast down their crowns before the throne saying worthy are you our lord and god to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created god created all things And all things have a place held for them before the throne of God to worship Him. Because that's what we were made for. What is worship? Worship is giving our best back to the God who made us. Worship is giving our best back to the God who made us. These elders, they're throwing down the very best thing they have. These golden crowns. They're casting them before the throne. And again, we're not supposed to think like, interesting logistics. In heaven, elders are throwing down golden crowns. How do they pick them back up? Like That's not the point. It's telling us worship is throwing our best thing before God, giving it back to him because he gave it to us. So I want you to notice in this definition of worship, like what it's not limited to. Okay, Worship is not limited to stuff that you do in church or in RUF large group. It's not limited to feeling a certain way. It's not limited to like lifting your hands when you're singing or like knowing the words to the songs. It's not limited to singing at all. Um, actually, the creatures in this passage, they're not singing, they're not in church, they don't look like us and they're not a, there's no praise band in sight, right? So like, this is not what we think of when we sometimes think about like, oh, worship means singing certain songs. What is your best? What is your personal best? What do you have, the best thing you have? What would it look like for you to dedicate tonight that the best of yourself and your passion and your work and your time and your life to the God who made you good news you don't have to wait till Jesus comes back you can do that now (laughs) for the rest of your life that's worship so I'm telling you if you love coming here and singing praising God and worship um, that's awesome but worship is about offering your best to the God who made you it's about more than what we do right here and if you feel kind of awkward during the singing, you like don't love it honestly maybe because you don't know the songs you don't like to be super like emotive maybe you sing the words and like you just don't feel anything but the person next to you it seems like they're feeling something and you're like I kind of feel like I'm doing it wrong like that's okay because guess what that's not the sum of what worship is the main event of what worship is is you throughout the week giving your best to the God who made you final point favorite point okay If you missed the rest of it, if you dozed off, perk up your ears here. It gets really good here, guys. Okay? How can you become beautiful? Right? And again, the dudes in here are like, never knew I wanted to become beautiful. Uh, Not just your outward appearance. I'm not talking about that. But like inside, noble heart, beautiful soul, a mind washed clean and perfected. How can you become honorable and noble and beautiful like the person that God made you to be? How does that happen? i want you to see something you may have missed okay those 24 elders what are they wearing right white garments clothed in white garments verse 4 here clothed in white garments with golden crowns in their heads we saw those same words last week revelation 3 jesus tells people that even though they think they've got it all together and they're like really proud about themselves he says, actually you're naked and you're needy but guess what he says i counsel you buy from me gold refined by fire gold That you may be rich and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Now, here show up these giants of the faith, right? The 12 patriarchs of Israel, 12 apostles, many of whom will die for their faith in Jesus, impressive people. What do they have on? White robes, right? These white robes represent a righteous life, perfection in words and action. Where'd they get those robes, guys? And where do we get some? Because apparently, this is like the dress code of heaven required apparel. In Revelation 7, we see everyone in heaven has white robes on. So like, where do we get them? And how do we get them? It's not through our own best efforts. Isaiah 64, 6. All our righteous deeds are like, what? All our righteous deeds, all our so-called righteousness, the good things we do that make us feel really good about ourselves. Isaiah 64, 6 says, They are like a polluted garment. Polluted. Like, it's been so messed up, it's just worth throwing away. We all fade like a leaf, and our sins, like the wind, take us away. So it's not like through our best efforts that we get these white robes. Only from God. Isaiah 61. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. Why? For He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Okay, how does that happen? Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can be in Christ Jesus. Turns out you can be in Christ Jesus like you can be in a garment, a robe. Romans 13.14 Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ was stripped naked on the cross, exposed for all to see, to make available to you the white robes of His righteousness for all eternity so that you can stand before the throne of heaven and not have to stand there in your shame and your brokenness and the stuff that you've done and wondering if you're good enough so that you can know you are wearing the robes of Jesus. Perfect. Righteous. It's like when Jesus gives you faith and repentance, he also takes off his shirt and he says, Here, wear this. Because he loves you. So now you smell like him. You look like him. You feel close to Him. People who know Him recognize you because you're wearing His stuff. So in the eyes of the God who made you, you just belong in the throne room. If you're a Christian, this is true of you right now. God looks at you and He says, that person belongs in my throne room. I'm going to keep them until they get there. This is yours in Christ to those who repent, who turn from their own best efforts to the God whose limitless love we can never earn. If you trust in Christ... You are wearing His righteousness right now. So turn to God. Repent, right? It's like 2.0 of last week. There's a lot of ways that God makes us beautiful. We could talk for weeks about all the ways God makes us beautiful. But one of the ways is repentance. Giving us the righteousness of Jesus. Turn to God. He is beautiful. And listen, if emerald rainbows and like weird gemstones and stuff don't do it for you, that's okay because God actually showed up in our world as a person named Jesus to show us his beauty, his love for the broken, his heart for the hurting, his patience with the proud, his power over the devil, his purity in the face of temptation, his gentleness with the childlike. He said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's close and it's beautiful. So repent and believe this good news. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your good news. Jesus, we thank you for your beauty. Amen. We haven't even begun to see what it looks like. We haven't even begun to glimpse the beauty that's going to be revealed one day when you come back and you plant your kingdom on this world finally and fully. Lord, keep us to that day. Lord, keep us in your kingdom. Help us to invite others into your kingdom. Help us to see your beauty and to live our lives now with patient endurance. Knowing that there's something so much better that's coming. Jesus, give us endurance and hope right now in our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.